You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. So we finished up our Systematic Theology 2 class last week, and in January we're going to start our missions class, which means there's kind of this little break, and it was an opportunity for me to take one of my favorite teachers in the world, uh, who's also a member here, and say, what's God been teaching you? So some of y'all have heard from Travis Satterfield before. Travis uh, is a teacher at Southside Christian School. Uh, and I just said, hey, man, what's been going on in your life? Because he's going to be saying, he might share some of it t- tonight, uh, but there's been a lot of stuff that I think Travis has known theoretically that the Lord, because of some stuff going on in his life, have just really kind of birthed in uh, and just made sure that he really does understand. So tonight we're going to be talking about n- knowing God through doubt and suffering. Uh, and so uh, I promise you this, you're going to really be blessed by what Travis has to offer here tonight. Not only does he have a great name, uh, but he's just a wonderful gift to our church. So get, can you guys welcome Travis as he comes up here to teach for us tonight? All right, let me get everything cranked up here. Good evening, everybody. Um, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it says a lot about a group of people who are still functioning at this time of night on a Sunday after Thanksgiving. So I just, well, I, I mean, I don't want to speak too fast. Maybe maybe I'll lose some of you halfway through. But um, so uh, as Pastor Travis said, um, I'm just, I'm, God's been working in my life a lot uh, recently. Um, this past summer, uh, actually this past spring, um, I was diagnosed with cancer. And so I spent my summer uh, taking chemo, spent my fall taking radiation and um, now we're finishing all of that up and um, symptoms are gone, thank God. Uh, he's blessed, I had a wonderful medical team, uh, wonderful folks, family, friends, just surrounding and loving my family. And um, again, as Pastor Travis said, there's been a lot of things that I've known intellectually, but have come to know in a deeper sense. And uh, a lot of things have aligned, God, you, I mean, some of y'all know how God works, just things align in ways that while our choices were active in that happening, um, we couldn't have made it happen the way that God has made things happen. Um, And so uh, I'm actually working on a master's degree in philosophy right now, uh, studying under some brilliant Christian philosophers. Um, It's kind of my thing. It's I love I love I've been teaching for this will be my 16th year teaching high school. Um, but I'm, I'm very passionate about the discipleship of the mind and really just trying to serve the church, dealing with big ideas and trying to handle a lot of really uh, otherwise complicated things. Um, I believe God's called me to it, and I just want to serve as much as I possibly can in that, which is hopefully what we'll be doing tonight. So with no further ado, I've, I've been known to bite off more than I can chew in a single night. Um, so I'll, as, as, uh, as you see up on the screen here and, and on your handout, Over the next several weeks, I want to kind of break down not just some things I've been learning uh, in classes I've been taking, some things I've been studying, but also how it's applied to me personally in a very deep and impactful way. And hopefully me sharing that will be of some service and some benefit to you. Knowing God through doubt and suffering. Um, Pastor Travis and I were texting back and forth like, okay, what's the plan? Like, how how are we going to do this? What what ideas do I have? And it's like, have you ever have you ever? Um, had the idea as you were texting the idea? <laughs> has, has anything ever developed like as you're talking through it? And uh, he, he hit me with a question, do you have a title for, I, I knew the three things I wanted to talk about. And then he asked, do you have a title for just kind of the whole thing, an overarching thing? 
And I just sort of put together the three things I wanted to talk about. And, and no, that works. That, that works um, in a way better than honestly I had planned because knowing God is a really important topic. I think we can all agree on that. Um, whether or not we can, what exactly we mean by that. But then also we've all experienced doubt. We've all experienced suffering. And it's interesting because a lot of times we assume that that doubt and suffering is something that will pull us away from God. But what I've come to realize, what I've come to learn in a very deep way, um, that a lot of times the doubt and the suffering actually leads us back to God. And so when we talk about knowing God, that, that word through is a very important word. It does a lot of work for me. That a lot of times we are able to know God, not just in spite of the doubts, in spite of the suffering, but because of the doubts and because of the suffering. And I want to try to explain that and unpack that over the next couple of weeks. So... Over, over the next three weeks, uh, this, tonight we'll be talking about knowing God. Um, what, what is that relationship between our faith and knowledge? Like we're using that word know uh, very loosely these days. Like well, what does it mean to know God? Um, next week we'll be talking about doubt. I believe doubt plays a really important role in our spiritual formation. Um, and we'll be discussing that. Like when we have those doubts, it's not something that we need to shy away from. I'm going to try to make the argument we, we need to go head first into those things. Um, and then that last part, suffering, um, and, and there's two sides to a really big coin that I want to try to address. What does our suffering tell us about God? But then also, what does God tell us about our suffering? Because I think both of those things are, are not just uh, very interesting in and of their own right, but they go together. They need to go together for us to understand uh, the, whole, the whole situation. So tonight, when we're talking about knowing God, um, I'll start with scripture. That's always probably the best place to start. You have a passage, a verse that, that comes to mind when we think about knowing God. Um, Peter says something really uh, important in his, in his second epistle there. Second um, Peter 1, 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's a really good encapsulation of what I'm trying to get at tonight. That it's through knowing God that we get all of the wonderful, infinitely beautiful benefits of knowing God. It's through that knowledge of God that we get the benefits of being related to God, of, of, of having that relationship um, with God. Now, that said, we use that terminology all the time. What does it mean to know God? Or when we talk about knowing God, we ask people. I know I've asked people. I've been asked by people, do you know God and, and it's interesting that that word know, to know or knowledge is, is really tricky. Um, this semester I'm taking a class, uh, they, they titled it uh, Theories of Knowledge, and it's a subject called epistemology. Now, I, I try to make a promise with my students, I don't use big words unless I absolutely have to, um, but epistemology is, is just an area of philosophy that we study that is the theories of knowledge. And there's all sorts of wonderful philosophers that have done wonderful work to, to talk about what, what knowledge is, uh, how it works, how do we come by knowledge. And as I've been studying this semester, again, I have Christian professors, so, so they're very bold to point these things out. But I've just been so fascinated by how many connections there are in the philosophy of knowledge, theories of knowledge, how that ties immediately over to our, our relationship with God, over to our spiritual formation. So that's what I wanted to explore tonight. Um, just to start us off, uh, uh, a couple of statements here, preliminary statements. Um, it's common today that, that a lot of people think that faith and knowledge are unrelated. And if not unrelated, uh, opposed to one another. It's a very common uh, misconception 
that, um, oh, let me catch my slides up here. Um, it, it's common today to think of faith and knowledge as being unrelated, if not opposed to one another. Uh, there's a quote that's famously attributed to Mark Twain that I have on your handout there, that faith is believing what you know ain't so. Now, as clever as Mark Twain was, and as fascinating as, of a writer as he was, he could not have been more wrong on that point. Um, and I hope, I hope by the end of the night you'll be able to agree with me on that, that that's just not the case. But we do have, have you not seen that that's a popular misunderstanding of what faith is? That faith is what you have when you can't know something. Faith is what you have when you fail to know something. And, and I'll just go on record saying it's just a really big misunderstanding of what faith is, especially when you look into Scripture. Uh, the Bible, in the Bible, faith and knowledge are deeply related. And they're deeply related for very, very important reasons. Just two examples come to mind. Hosea 4, 6, the prophet tells us that God's people are destroyed. Destruction comes by a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed uh, for a lack of knowledge, God says. But then by that same merit, Jesus describes eternal life. Very few times do we get a description of eternal life. And Jesus describes it as knowledge of God. Now, those are two very opposite things, right? Destruction and eternal life. And both of them, what's the difference between destruction and eternal life? Knowledge. Knowledge is a really, really important thing when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our relationship with God. So, yeah, I'm sorry, Mark Twain. Faith is a little more important than just your best guess. Now, as popular of a misunderstanding as that is out in our world, the real shame is that a lot of Christians have fallen for that. I've had the uh, misfortune of having a lot of conversations with Christians where their assumption about their own faith, their own faith is something that they just can't know, that, that it's, it's distinct from all of the things that you can know, that you can empirically verify or scientifically test, et cetera, et cetera, that, that our faith is everything we have outside of that. Uh, faith is what we have past our knowledge. And really, when you look into scripture, you find that that's just simply not the case. So... The first big step that, we, that I want to do, and, and by the way, this is going to set us up for the next couple weeks um, when we're talking and when we're using this terminology, is just to make some really important distinctions. Distinctions are very important. I want to clarify some of the terms, some of the concepts that we have um, when we use these words. Um, we must understand how knowledge, belief, commitment, and profession are different from and related to one another. Right, so, so I want to look at those four words, those four concepts, what we mean by that. Now, um, let me go ahead and stop here and say everything I'm saying tonight, I am absolutely standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, none of this is original with me. I just like to make things and, and put it on a little bit lower of a shelf for the rest of us. Right. Um, and so I'm really relying on a lot of uh, uh, a really uh, intellectual giants and spiritual giants. Um, the definitions, the quotes that I'm pulling here are from a man by the name of Dallas Willard. Uh, just a few years ago, he went home to be with the Lord, um, but he left us a just a treasure trove of work, just a body of work um, as a Christian philosopher who was intensely invested in teaching the church uh, on spiritual formation, on the spiritual disciplines. Um, and he wrote a very, a very good book titled Knowing Christ Today, where he broaches these topics exactly. Um, he goes into all sorts of avenues discussing what it means to know God and, and, and the fact that we are able to know God. Um, so I'm taking a lot of these quotes from that book just to give us a, a definition, just to give us some helpful definitions moving forward. 
Okay, so the first one, let's talk about knowledge. Uh, Willard says this about knowledge. We have knowledge of something when we are representing it as it actually is on an appropriate basis of thought and experience. Now, I didn't give you any blanks to fill out, so we're in danger of you not actually remembering that. Um, I believe if Dr. Willard were, were here, he would point out that um, if, you don't write, if, if you write something down, you're eight times more likely to remember it, which makes me think we should have just given you all a blank piece of paper to make it. Anyways, um, so here's what he says about knowledge. We have knowledge of something when we are representing it as it actually is. What does it mean to know anything? Like when we talk about knowledge just in general, uh, let's get a good overview. The first thing I want to take note of is that knowledge is, is intrinsically tied to truth. To say that you know something, it needs to be true, or else you can't really say you know it, right? Um, so for instance, if I were to ask some of you, what, what's the capital city of South Carolina? And, and somebody raises their hand and says, well, Greenville. Greenville is the capital of South Carolina. Um, now, would we say that 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 person knows the capital of South Carolina? No, because that's not the capital of South Carolina. You can't know something that's not true. You see how that works, right? Okay, so, so knowledge is intrinsically tied to truth. Um, also, what, what we want to make sure to understand is that knowledge is built on an interactive relationship. So to know something, first of all, it needs to be true. But the way you come about knowledge is by way of an interactive relationship. Um, I think I could say I know how to play the guitar. I think I could say that. The only reason I'm saying I think I can say that is that I know how to play the guitar is because I haven't played in a long, long time. I haven't interacted with it. My relationship with my guitar is, is, is not a very good relationship right now. We've, we've, we've uh, had way too much time apart, and I don't I know that I could sit down and I know some chords and I know how to strum and so on, but that knowledge is not very deep. That knowledge is not very wide. Um, but the more you interact with an instrument, the more we say you know how to play it, right? So, so, so many ways we see how knowledge grows by way of an interactional relationship, um, that there's this relationship that we have when we interact. Certainly we could say that about people, right? To say that you know someone. No one knows me better than my wife. And I get to talk about her tonight because she's not here. Please don't tell her. Um, she, she's a huge introvert, and she will straight up walk out of the room if I start talking about her. But she's not here, so let's go. Um, but no one knows me better than my wife because, frankly, no one has done life with me as much as my wife. No one has interacted with me as much as my wife. And I think I can say the same thing about her because I don't know of anybody that's interacted with her. So there's that interactional relationship that we have that in which we grow in knowledge. The third thing I want to say is that knowledge confers authority on those who have it. Willard, I love this point that Dallas Willard makes where when you have knowledge, you have authority on something. Okay, so for instance, when you take your car into the shop, you want those mechanics to know what they're doing, right? It'd be a really bad mechanic that advertises that we get lucky most of the time. I don't, I don't know that they would want to advertise that, right? Um, let's not even talk about doctors and surgeons that like, we, we, we don't want them to operate if, yeah, no, I'm, more often than not, I'm usually right. Whoa, 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 I don't want you to just to guess, your, your best guess. I want you to know what you're doing. You see, when someone has knowledge, we, we convey authority. We give them authority. We say that they have authority on that particular topic. 
So you see how much, how much work knowledge is doing for us, right? Knowledge is really, really important, and we're going to start making some connections in our relationship with God. Now, that's the big one, so let's talk about some other words that are, are often related to knowledge. Certainly, uh, uh, Mark Twain, you saw a couple of words that were thrown in there, namely believing. Um, he, he threw in the idea of believing as, as some, oftentimes associated with knowledge. So what do we mean when we talk about belief? Well, here Dallas Willard says, it, in its basic nature, belief is a matter of tendencies to act. Um, one of the interesting things about what Willard says about belief, like wh whatever belief may be, whatever else belief may be, it's usually attached to action. Right? Um, so for instance, I know that all of you believe certain things about chairs. Now, how do I know that all of you believe certain things about chairs? I might even be able to guess some things that you actually do believe about chairs. For instance, you probably believe that if you sit in it, it's going to hold you up, usually. I know that's not always the case. I had some friends in high school that made, that, made me paranoid to this day. I still have flashbacks when I sit down in a chair because every once in a while it gets pulled off. Okay, so that's, that's not what we're talking about. Um, but, but you have certain beliefs that, that lead inherently to action. And I love this because, let's be honest, a lot of times we say we believe things that I don't know that we actually believe. Why? Because we don't act on it. Now notice, it, already we got a good payoff between these distinctions, right? There are things, it is possible for there to be things that we know, but that we don't actually believe. Um, so for instance, um, my doctor, when we're talking about my, uh, um, all the health issues that I've gone through recently, uh, my doctors gave me a regimen of some medicine, some treatments, and some things I needed to go through. And, and they know what they're talking about, at least I hope they do. And uh, they prescribe certain things, and I assigned that authority that we're talking about. So if I go home believing that what my doctor said would benefit me, it, it's nice that I believe it. But I'm going to have to follow up on that, right? I can't expect to get healed if I don't actually do what I believe they said would work, right? So belief is, is, is tied to action in a really interesting way. Now, I got to keep moving. Um, so belief, one thing to, that, that's interesting, no, belief is not tied to truth in the same way that knowledge is. Now, that's funny because a lot of times, I mean, let's be honest, how many of us have ever had a belief that turned out not to be true? It's possible. It's possible to believe things that aren't true, but belief is inherently uh, tied to the will. Belief involves the will in a way that knowledge does not. Okay, so again, this is all Dallas Willard here. I'm, I'm trying to represent his ideas really well, but I love the, the dynamics that he's, he's, the picture that he's painting for us, that knowledge is intrinsically tied to truth and to reality, whereas belief is intrinsically tied to the will and to action. So the trick isn't so much what you believe or what you know, it's whether or not your beliefs are related to what you know. More on that in a bit. Um, belief, in that way, uh, when it's based on knowledge, enables us to live in truth, which is a wonderful place to be. <laughs> um, when I was writing this, I couldn't help but think about that passage there, John 8.32, where Jesus says, if you're really my disciples... You'll, you'll obey my word, you'll be obedient, and you'll know the truth, and what will the truth do? It'll set you free. You will live a life of freedom based on the knowledge that you have. 
Now that lived action, that lived belief that, that, that we believe, that we actually put into action, is based on the knowledge that we have. So this, this really fascinating tie between, where we're seeing this really fascinating tie between what we know and what we believe. Now a couple more terms um, that, that we do need to cover because we use this terminology a lot. A lot of times, especially, especially in churches and Christian ministries, we talk about commitment. And commitment is a very important thing. But I'm afraid sometimes we put a little too much weight on the idea of commitment. Willard says this, that commitment uh, uh, is, uh, is a matter of implementing a course of action. So, in other words, commitment is acting as if you believe. But do you necessarily have to believe to commit to something? Can I say, as, as a kid who grew up in church, grew up in a pastor's home, I was brought to commit to things. I committed to things that I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know that I actually believed. Now I committed. There was a course of action and I followed through with that course of action. Man, the Bible verses that I memorized. <laughs> when, you, when you're a pastor's kid, you, you memorize verses like almost by accident. You know, you just hear it in songs all the time. You hear it talked about all the time. It's like, I don't remember ever memorizing John 3.16, but I know I did at some point. It just kind of happened. Now, that course of action, I don't know if it was necessarily tied to belief, but the commitment was there. Are y'all seeing how that can be the case? Now, the reason why I want to point that out is because if we're not careful, we judge our own walk with Christ based on our commitment, but not necessarily our belief. Again, more on that as we keep moving. Commitment does not necessarily involve belief much less knowledge, <laughs> that that's just belief. Commitment doesn't even need belief, much less knowledge. So, so, and remember what knowledge attaches us to, right? Remember what we get when we get knowledge, we get truth. So in terms of commitment, yeah, you can be really committed to a lot of really bad things. All right? So I want to be careful here. Commitment is important, but what's even more important is that knowledge and belief to which we're committed. Do y'all see how that works? I get it. That, that's a really important distinction to make, I think. Even further away from knowledge is this idea of profession. Uh, Willard says at even greater distance from knowledge is profession. Um, in other words, where, where uh, uh, commitment is, committing, uh, is acting as if you believe, profession is at least speaking as if you believe. And of course, that takes a lot less from us, doesn't it? Um, again, I don't, I don't want to discredit. Profession is a really important thing. Um, how did Paul say in Romans that if you confess with your mouth, uh, the Lord Jesus, and, and, and believe in your heart. Now, I think Paul would agree with us that if we stopped with the profession in the mouth, if we, if we stopped with the words that we're speaking, we'd be stopping far, far short, right? So yes, profession is important, but only in so much as it's speaking the truth about what we actually believe. So profession um, is speaking as if you believe. Whether or not you actually do, that's a different story. Profession doesn't require, does not require commitment much less belief or knowledge. Again, in a church situation, we're worried about souls, we're worried about people's spiritual formation and, and walking with Christ. Profession is very important. We want to get a profession from people. We want be, people to be able to profess. Um, we, we see baptisms at Rocky Creek all the time, right? And what is that? that that's, in a way, that's almost like a commitment that is a profession, right? It's an act where you're actually communicating, I am a follower of Christ, I want everybody to know it. And that's a really, really important profession. But God help us if that's all that that is. It needs to be representative of something much deeper, namely belief and knowledge. Right? 
So to summarize all of that, unfortunately, many Christians have made the mistake of disassociating faith and knowledge, settling for commitment and profession as sufficient for faith. I hope I'm not sounding too repetitive. I just want to be really careful. Commitment is important. Profession is important. But if that's all we've got going, I don't know, the, the story of Jesus, uh, Jesus' parable of the sower comes to mind. You remember the story of the sower where he goes out and he casts seed, and in some ground, some, some stuff sprung up real fast, right? Uh, we, we, saw a lot of, uh, we saw a lot of, can I call that fruit? We, we saw a lot of growth. And then what happened when the sun came? What happened when the birds came? What happened when the drought came? All of that faded away. And what do we see so often in the church when people profess and commit, but don't stick around? Maybe there's something going on there that we have a profession, we have commitment, but what we don't have is belief. What we don't have is knowledge. And that's why I think this talk is so important. Right? Meanwhile, meanwhile, here, here's, here's the wonderful thing. Here's, here's the good news. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is, meanwhile, God has made knowledge of himself and his will available. And he has called us to believe. So I'm afraid this would be a very depressing talk if all I had for you was profession commitment's not enough. Well, good night, everybody. No, no, no. God has, called, God has not only provided knowledge, he's called us to believe. Okay, so, so where does that leave us exactly? Well, let's talk about what we came here to talk about, knowing God. With all those distinctions made, with all that groundwork laid for us, now we can talk about a little more fruitfully, I think, what it means to know God. So just to, just to clarify, just to summarize, knowledge gives us access to reality. I love that definition of knowledge. It's one of my favorite that I'll come across. Willard says it. A couple of other philosophers agree. Knowledge, in a very interesting way, gives us access to reality. So knowledge of God, wow, how much more does that do for us? Knowledge of God gives us access to ultimate reality. Knowledge about God, knowledge about ourselves as image bearers. Uh, we learned that if y'all were in gospel group this morning, we learned about being image bearers, right? Um, and so we, we learn about God by way of our knowledge of God. We learn about ourselves. We learn about the world that God's given us. In other words, knowledge of God is access to a level of reality that you just can't get elsewhere. Um, I work a lot in apologetics. Some of y'all here tonight, y'all have taken my, uh, some of my apologetics courses. That, that was uh, it was a lot of fun, and I hope to, hope to circle back to it again. It was, it was a lot of fun. I, I want to get back to it. But one of the things that we deal with in apologetics so much is that people's worldviews are a lot of times boxed into things like science. And science is very important. Science is a wonderful gift, and it's very good. But the problem that a lot of people make, the mistake that a lot of people make is that only science can tell us anything about reality. If science can't measure it, if science can't tell us, if science can't give us results, then it's pretty much just irrelevant or imaginary or an illusion or whatever. Now, the only way to truly know something is, is by way of science. It's like, now don't get me wrong, science helps us a lot with knowledge, but it's very limited in being able to tell us a whole other level of things. Whereas knowledge of God gives us access to reality that, frankly, science just can't get us there. Right, now, that's another conversation for another time. So this knowledge of God... Um, becomes really, really important, especially for us as Christians to understand. When people fail uh, to acknowledge God in their lives, they become disconnected from reality, from truth, from beauty, and from goodness. Paul tells us this story in, in, uh, in Romans chapter 1, right? Um, he gives us this spiritual history of the world, as it were, 
that when people don't like to retain God in their knowledge, they don't like to make a place for God in the way they see things, in their, in their worldview. We, we use that term worldview a lot. They don't like to acknowledge God in their lives, and the consequences are devastating. Um, you go, go read. I'll give you the, the opportunity to go read Romans chapter 1 and see how that turns out for folks when they fail to retain knowledge of God in their lives. Why? Because knowledge of God is access to ultimate reality. And the way that knowledge is access to reality, knowledge of God is access to ultimate reality, to, to goodness, to truth, to beauty. And when you, when you don't acknowledge God, you lose that access and therefore lose ideas of truth, of goodness, and beauty. Let me ask you this. In our world today, not many people know God. Does it seem like folks have lost a sense of truth, have lost a sense of beauty, have lost a sense of goodness. And I think there's really important conversations to be had about all these statements about your truth and my truth and what's right for you and right for, you, for me and, 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 and all these ideas. I think there's really important conversations to be had. But what I'm finding, the deeper I go in my studies, what I'm finding is it all just drills down to people's lack of knowing God. They're failing to acknowledge God in their lives. And so they're losing access to, well, reality. Now, um, that's why... I think things like this are really important. This, this, this um, evening meeting, the equipped classes that we have, this Entrust Institute where, where we're making this available to anybody in the church. That's why I love that uh, um, God's given a vision to Pastor Travis and the other folks at the church that, that this is something where we want to disciple folks, not just how to serve people. That's, that's great. That's good. That's important. Um, not, not just how to have strong families. That's good. That's great. That's important. But I love the fact that I can come in here and start talking epistemology and nobody turns around and walks out. Because I know my pastor for the past several weeks has been talking to y'all about all kinds of ologies, right? Uh, all these eschatologies and soteriologies and theology this, that, and the other. Thank God. <laughs> because this is the reason why discipleship of the mind is so important. When we don't have access to knowledge of God, when we don't have knowledge of God, we don't have access to reality. So discipleship of the mind becomes crucially important. Now, Getting to, getting to the punchline, getting to the good stuff. Notice the distinction between that second heading and now on to my third heading. Anybody know the difference there? It wasn't a typo. What's that word? Some of y'all whispered it a little bit. That word about. Makes a big difference, doesn't it? See, knowing about God versus knowing God is a really big difference between those two things. And if there's one statement, uh, one of my professors always, always uh, tells us that whenever we're teaching, whenever we're preaching, whenever we're uh, before a group of, of, of folks in a church, we want to at least get across like one good idea. There needs to be one question we're trying to answer. Uh, there needs to be one lesson that I want you to walk away with. And if there's one lesson I want you to walk away with, it's this. That knowledge about God can never replace knowledge of God. Knowledge about God is great. It's important. Y'all been studying theology, you've been getting knowledge about God. But what about your knowledge of God? What about that relationship that you have? Now, the two are related. The two can certainly help one another. The two can motivate one another. The two can strengthen one another. But let's never be satisfied with knowledge about God and fail to have access to knowledge of God. Now, I want to make those distinctions and basically spend the rest of our time tonight um, making those distinctions. So epistemologists, the, the folks that do theories of knowledge and really study the philosophy of knowledge, 
They've made some really helpful distinctions between uh, different kinds of knowledge. And I, I just find this really interesting. But again, I'm not just trying to uh, I'm not just trying to present you with a whole bunch of different ideas. Think with me as we go through these. Think with me the connection between all of these ideas about different kinds of knowledge, how it relates to your relationship with Christ. Like you specifically and your knowledge of God and your knowledge about God. Think about how these different kinds of knowledge, because you know there's different kinds of knowledge, right? And, and, and it's very intuitive. Y'all are probably just going to be able to nod. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, by the way, I, I, the, one of the reasons why I think philosophy is so fun, why I love it so much, is that it's basically just coming up with really big words to stuff everybody already knows. It's things that you already, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, well, I mean, I didn't know that was the word for it, but sure, I see that all the time. That's basically what we're going to do. So, so just take your time and really try to make the connection between your relationship with Jesus and different kinds of knowledge, because all of them play a role. All right, so the first kind of knowledge that, that actually, frankly, most epistemologists will talk about is propositional knowledge. And this consists of knowing true statements about something or someone. All right, so, so knowing true statements about things. That's proposition. The, the proposition there, you're knowing propositions. Okay? So, for instance, if we started talking about sports, no doubt some of y'all could probably throw out a lot of propositions, right? A lot of propositional knowledge, some statistics that you know, rules that you know, some historical facts about who the greatest of all time is, etc., etc. You, you could throw out a lot of propositional knowledge, and that's good and that's great. But let me get you to think, and, and forgive me if you're not a sports fan, um, I don't know, like maybe TV show or something, I don't know. But, but those of you that are sports fans, okay, we, we, we have a lot of propositional knowledge now let me get you to think about your favorite athlete like of all time. Whatever the sport is, doesn't matter. Your favorite athlete of all time. I mean, just like that one person that if you could have the chance to meet them, that would just be the greatest thing ever. You tell, you tell your, your grandkids, grandkids about this, man. Like it'd, just, it'd just be a game changer to be able to meet this one athlete. I don't know who it is. I'm a child of the 90s. So for me, you know it's going to be Michael Jordan. And you know what? I mean, I was a fan who wasn't back in the day, right? Um, but, but to get to meet Michael Jordan and now, like now that they did that documentary recently and now everybody's all hyped up and it's like, I remember watching those games. I feel like an old man now. Cause I remember watching those games, but man, that just, that just be the greatest thing. But, but whoever it is for you, go for it. You understand there's a really big difference between propositional knowledge about that person and actually knowing that person. Big, big difference, right? Propositional knowledge can only get you so far. But again, let's keep thinking how this relates to our relationship with Jesus. The next type of knowledge is practical knowledge. Practical knowledge consists of knowing how to perform a certain act. Okay, so you've got propositional knowledge, which is uh, true statements. You're knowing true statements. Versus practical knowledge, knowing how to do something. Now, it's, it's interesting because I think these two things are related. Like you can have propositional knowledge that helps you, that teaches you how to do things. But I've also met a lot of people with a lot of practical knowledge that if you ask them how they do it, they're not going to be able to tell you anything. Anybody ever met somebody like that? Like you, you ask, them, well, how'd you do that? Oh, they've got no statements for you at all, but they know how right now. So, so again, you see how they can be related. They can be distinct, but you've got propositional knowledge. You've got practical knowledge. Now, how does that relate to our faith? How does that relate to our relationship with Jesus? Well, you know how to go to church. You know what's expected of you. 
You know how to give. You know how to listen. You know how to read the Bible. You know how to pray. And all of those are really, really important things to know how to do. But does that amount to knowing God? Knowing how to do those things, does that amount to a relationship with God? Again, let's keep thinking through it. The next type of knowledge is acquaintance knowledge. Now, here's where it starts, starts getting a little more dynamic, a little more profound, I think. Right? Um, acquaintance knowledge consists of knowing by an encounter of direct awareness. An encounter of direct awareness. All right? Now, your bedroom right now. You got it in your mind? You're not there. You're not there. But your bedroom right now. You have an acquaintance knowledge of your bedroom. Right? You might not be able to put it in terms of a, of a proposition. Um, you might, I mean, know how. Like, like practical knowledge may not really actually, I don't know, maybe that works. But you have an acquaintance knowledge of your room such that how many of you could confidently, with the lights out, you wake up, your eyes are barely open and lights out, you could still make it to the bathroom. How many of you are there? That's acquaintance knowledge. You just know by way of direct encounter. And by the way, it only takes one direct encounter to know where the corner of that bed is. Am I right? That, 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 that's a direct encounter. That, that's a knowledge by acquaintance. You've become very acquainted with that, that corner, um, especially your little toe has become acquainted with that corner of the bed, right? So you see how acquaintance knowledge works. But again, acquaintance knowledge also works with people. Because there are some people that you may not necessarily know many propositions about. And, and as far as practical knowledge, that may not even really come into play. But you know that person. You may even learn something new about them. But you know that person by way of direct encounter, by way of a direct awareness. Again, how does this play into our relationship with Jesus? Now, when we dig just one more step deeper into acquaintance knowledge... There's a specific type of knowledge, that acquaintance knowledge, but that happens with people. And one particular philosopher refers to this as interpersonal knowledge. Interpersonal knowledge consists of knowing another person by acquaintance. So it's a type of acquaintance, but it's interpersonal knowledge of another person. So now you're not knowing a statement. The subject that you're knowing, or I'm sorry, you're, you're the subject knowing, um, the object, the thing that you are knowing is not a proposition, it's not an action, it's not even a thing, it's a person. You as a knowing person, you are now knowing another person. This, this interpersonal knowledge. Although they are deeply related, acquaintance knowledge cannot be reduced to propositional knowledge. Look back over your notes. See, where we started with that propositional knowledge, you can't be satisfied with propositional knowledge and make it all the way down to acquaintance knowledge. You can't reduce acquaintance knowledge down to propositional knowledge. And of course, this applies directly to God. So here's the question we're asking. All right. I can't stand it when, when teachers and preachers say this, but I said all that to say this. <laughs> all of that groundwork to get to this point. Is it possible for us to have interpersonal knowledge of God? If so, how? See, I think that's what we're really asking. When we talk about knowing God, whether or not we know God, I think we're all in agreement. Whether or not we know God, it doesn't suffice just to say, yes, we know things about God. Again, talking about my wife, 
for, for, for you to come and ask me about my knowledge of my wife, if all I did was offer you a bunch of propositions, is that enough to build a healthy relationship with my wife? That professional athlete that you thought of just a few minutes ago while I was up here talking about Michael Jordan, if you were to show up at their house, knock on their door, and say, hey, let me in, they'd immediately say, who are you? If all you could do is start spouting off a bunch of propositions, a bunch of true statements, well, well, I, you don't know me, but I know you. You scored this much in this season and this many championships, and you started spouting off all that proposition. What do you suppose they would do with you at their front door? Probably call security, probably, right? Because that propositional knowledge does not suffice for interpersonal relationship. So when we're talking about knowing God, let's get past how much you know about God. How much do you know God? Is it possible? I believe so. One, one uh, philosopher uh, by the name of Matthew Benton, he explains interpersonal knowledge, and I'll try to hustle through this, uh, by distinguishing between three grades of personal involvement. Now, I love this because, again, how does this relate to my relationship with Jesus? How do these things connect and correlate with my relationship with Jesus? Well, let's take a look at first grade. Am I in the first grade, so to speak? Well, in the first grade of personal involvement, you're knowing about someone, but it's through secondhand interactions. You know about someone, but it's through secondhand interaction. That athlete you've been thinking about all night, now that I brought it up again, um, you know them primarily through somebody else telling you about them. That's secondhand interaction, right? Can I go ahead and confess to you? Again, pastor's kid, grew up in a Christian home most of my life. Most of my knowledge about God, most of my knowledge of God was secondhand. It was by way of somebody else. And I was basically living off somebody else's faith and living off somebody else's knowledge of God became knowledge about God for me. Now, as a father, can I tell you, it has created a whole new challenge for me because I want to make sure that my knowledge of God doesn't just stay knowledge about God for my kids. I don't want my kids just to know about God. I want them to come to the knowledge that I've come to, knowledge of God, right? So that's first grade. I don't think we're wanting to settle for first grade knowledge about God. What about second grade? Can we graduate into second grade? Knowing about someone through firsthand interactions, but they're only in a one-way direction. Now, do you see what he's describing there? For a second, second grade personal interaction is knowing someone through firsthand interaction. Like you're actually interacting with them, but it's only in one direction. It's only going one way. So it's like, yeah, if I got to meet Michael Jordan, I'm pretty sure I'd, I, he'd keep me at second grade. <laughs> he, he, he'd be able to sit down, have that interview. Okay, kid, what, what do you want to know about me? Yeah, sure. That was cool. Um, you know, six rings they are over there. That's nice. Um, you know, that, that's great. Uh, Scotty Pippen, yeah, he's cool. Um, Carl Malone, yeah, he's not. Um, so uh, what, what else do you want to know? Like it would be very, it would, there would be an interaction, but it would only be in one direction. I'd get to know about him. But I mean, honestly, what does Michael Jordan want to know about me? <laughs> the life that he's lived, what would he, act, oh, so you're a teacher, cool. What's that like, I guess? I don't, you know, what would he want to know? It would be very one directional, it would be very one way. And so that's second hand, or I'm sorry, that, that's second grade. Let me ask you this. Is that where we are left with our knowledge of God? I, I hope not. The idea that, oh, I want to know about God. I, I want to I ask God about this. I want to study my Bible. Can I say this? That for, for a good part of my life, my knowledge of God was stuck in second grade. 
Why? Because I love studying theology. And I love reading the Bible, and I love breaking down words, and I love studying ideas, and I love, I love all the ologies, all, all that system. I, I love that stuff. But if I'm not careful, I'll be satisfied with interviewing God. Just knowing more, just give me more information about you. But you know what's so wonderful about our Father? Is he turns around and says, okay, but what about you? I don't want you just to know me. I want to know you. Which brings us to third grade. Third grade knowledge is knowing about someone through firsthand interactions that are two-way in direction. Now, as far as our understanding of this, I, I think I'm seeing it in some eyes, I'm seeing it on some faces. Y'all know where I'm going with this. That the knowledge that we have available to us of God is of that third grade, is of that third degree, is of that, 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 that first-hand interaction that is two-way, where it's not just that we know about our God in heaven, He knows us deeply. And to know and be known by God is the most wonderful thing any human can experience. How blessed are we? My professor, Brandon Rickaball, he says it this way. Um, oh, uh oh, lost Dr. Rickaball's quote here. Um, he, he says it this way. Moreover, we are known by God in the very act of knowing and loving him. That is included in these encounters with God. We are enabled to have the awareness that we are also being known. This is not inferred, but directly and intimately perceived. We're directly ex we directly experience being seen and being known by God. I don't know if you've ever opened God's word and felt like it cut you to the core. I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon and, and <laughs> the Holy Spirit just, just tapped on pastor's shoulder that morning and said, hey, if nobody else hears it, I need him to hear it. I need her to hear it. I don't know if you've ever been spoken to by God in that way, but to know and to be known by God, it's the greatest thing any human can experience. All right, so wrapping things up, applying these ideas to our relationship with God helps us understand that knowledge of God cannot be reduced to knowledge about God. Uh, I'll close with a couple of passages of scripture. Y'all remember in Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about all sorts of people, and he tells us about one specific group of people. He says, hey, listen, listen, y'all need to be careful because there are going to be a lot of people in that day that are going to come to me in day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this, that, and the other? They had a lot of propositional knowledge. They had a lot of practical knowledge of God, about God. And what does Jesus turn to them and tell them? Depart from me. Get out of here. You're workers of iniquity. I don't want anything to do with you. Why? Because I never knew you. They didn't have that interpersonal relationship with God. Contrast that with Philippians 3, 7 through 8. And Paul's basically saying, listen, I'm a Pharisee. I know stuff. I know a lot of stuff. But I would trade all of those things. Whatever was gained to me, I count as dung. I count as loss in exchange for what? Knowledge of Christ. Knowing Jesus far surpasses anything I can know about Jesus. In other words, God does not simply call us to know things about him. He calls us into that interactive relationship with him. 
You remember that discussion? Like the more you interact with something or someone, the more we say you know it. Okay, well, the more you interact with God, the more you live life as a disciple of Christ, the more you are obedient to his command, the more you cast all your care on him because you realize he cares for you. The more you live the life of an apprentice of Jesus Christ, the more you can say you know God. So knowing and being known by God happens when we pray, meditate on scripture, fellowship with Christians, serve others. In other words, when we live the life of the disciple that Jesus calls us to. You want to know God? Follow Christ. It's there for us. Now, I'm ending on a high note because next week we're going to talk about those moments where it doesn't feel like God's right there, where that direct awareness is missing. Next week we'll talk about, okay, all this knowledge stuff is great, But what about the opposite side of that coin? What about doubt? And I hope you'll be able to make it because it's a wonderful topic. And if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and close this in prayer for the evening. Father, I thank you that you have made knowledge, not just about yourself, but knowledge of yourself available to us. I thank you that you know us. I thank you that you know us, and despite knowing us, you still love us. And I thank you that that relationship of knowing and being known by you is available to all of us. I pray that if there's one here tonight that does not know you, that does not have that knowledge, that interpersonal knowledge, that tonight would be the night that they would come to know you. I thank you most of all for Jesus who made that knowledge possible. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.